Hello, wonderful humans. Welcome back to the TFC Audio Project. On this episode of Shop Talk, Mike and I have a conversation about immune function and do our best to simplify the biology of the immune system. We talk about how the five pillars of health influence the immune system and what you can do to create a more resilient defense system so that you can be ready for battle if you do come into contact with something like a virus. We finish the episode by making some observations about how the pandemic is being managed in our own hometown and how we can all do our own part to ask questions and make sure that the best interest of the public is being served with decisions made by country leadership. Really enjoyed our chat, and I hope you find the content useful. This episode of the show is brought to you by our family of partner companies listed at thefullcollective.com, who have kindly offered discounts or free gifts to our TFC community, and also support TFC by helping to fund the development and hosting of TFC app. We've developed relationships over time with brands doing awesome work and who align with TFC on the mission to create products that are good for your health and good for the planet. And if you check out thefolkcollective.com and click on the partner companies tab, you'll see a list of brands that offer you discounts. And by purchasing using the links and codes, it also helps keep TFC app free and evolving without having to ever load it with ads or to take on investors that want to sell your data. This episode of the podcast is also brought to you by the Roasters Pack. If you're into coffee, this company offers an awesome subscription service that delivers you fresh beans to your door each month, along with the story behind the craft roasters that the beans come from. Check out theroasterspack.com and use the code FOOT at checkout and you'll get seven bucks off your first month. Last but not least, this episode is sponsored by our travel partner, Nanook Protective Hard Cases, which we use to transport gear to events that, that we do at TFC. They make super high quality pro grade hard cases that can keep your electronics safe while you travel. And you can check out their cases at nanook.com. That's it for sponsors. Let's dig into this episode. Hope you enjoy it. It's the TFC Audio Project. Hello, friends. Nick and Mike here, back for another episode of Shop Talk. And today we're going to cover two major topics. So we're going to start by talking about uh, how the body defends against a threat. So we're going to talk about the functions of the immune system and try and simplify it by making um, some analogies to just help people get a better understanding of, you know, what what does a well-functioning immune system look like and what are the causes of a um, poorly functioning immune system? Like, what can we do to essentially buffer against, um, what can we do to optimize our immune system, basically? And then we're going to talk about just kind of thoughts and observations on the management of COVID-19 and, you know, have a just an objective conversation about alternative strategies um, that still protect vulnerable people while also protecting, you know, the personal freedom of the people who aren't vulnerable. So that'll be a, uh, we're just kind of airing that out and not saying we have the answers, but asking questions about, you know, why decisions are being made right now and are they in our best interest? So that'll be an interesting one. Let's start by talking about how the body defends itself. In this case, yes, there's a virus out there, but in general, let's talk about the immune system. Yeah, so me and you both took biology in in undergrad, and right. I think it was really interesting diving into this over the last little while in, into cell biology and immune biology and all of that. But immune basics, it's basically the a surveillance system going on within our body at all times, and no bo- no part of our body is kind of cut off from the surveillance so from from our skin to kind of every part of our body in, internally as well. Right. Like the immune, the primary role of the immune system is to protect us. Yeah. Right. It's like our it's like our army that's there to defend us if an invader knocks on our door. And and surveillance is a big initial one. And and then 
an immune response is, is basically, it's like a tactical program that's carried out by the immune system when it, the system does detect like a foreign threat invader in the form of a virus, bacteria, infection, um, pathogen, you know, foreign object, whatever it might be. Um, that's when the immune system detects because it's been surveilling and it surveils in different ways and methods. And in terms of viruses, we can get into that a little bit, but once it detects that threat, it amounts this response. And that army analogy that you made is that is important because it, it almost, it, it goes into attack mode and it will, it will do different, has different strategies depending on how severely, let's say a cell is infected. Um, if it needs to actually destroy that actual cell and start destroying its own tissues a little bit so that it can clear this infection or if it can do it in, in different ways that aren't as damaging initially. Um, yeah. So even, you know, we can air out that army concept a little bit more. So if you think of your immune system as your internal military, your internal army, that's there to defend you. If a threat comes, you want a military force that is, uh, well-trained. So you want, let's talk about it in respect of soldiers. Do you want soldiers that are strong, that are well-trained and that can deal with issues in a very efficient manner? So if an invader comes, they detect it right away. They destroy it in an efficient, swift manner, and then they return to a more surveillance state where they can then be, you know, relaxed and ready to fight the next one. You don't want a military that has never faced an enemy before. So you don't want a bunch of lazy soldiers that have never even, that can't run, that can't detect anything, that are basically malprepared and have never gone into battle. But you also don't want a military that has been battling every single day consecutively for years because they're just going to be depleted, right? They're going to be at at their limit so that if a really big threat comes, they don't have any juice left to be able to divert to defending that. And hopefully we can paint this story a little bit and using these examples of of, uh, diet um, stress and and, uh, all of that and the things we'll get into because that's important. And and that analogy you just made will come up uh, a bunch when we talk about it. And just some of the characteristics of an immune protective response is, like Nick just talked about, active immune surveillance is number one. So you have this surveilling activity happening at all times. I was kind of aware of what's going on in it. So these are um, like scouts, basically. Scouts, and that's kind of, that's happening under the radar all the time for a healthy immune system. Number two is a rapid and robust response upon immune activation. So a threat is detected, let's rapidly and robustly just go after it. Um, right, so and, when a scout detects something, they sound the like, alarm, go, boom, troops are mobilized. Tactical. Very efficient and like Navy SEAL style. You just get at it to the exact point where the threat's coming from and deal with it quickly. And attack it. And that might mean attack your own cells a little bit, do some damage, clear shit up, and then go into battle, essentially. Number three is efficient clearance of the pathogen. So once you've actually attacked it, there's there's a clearance of all this... basically cell material and stuff that, uh, and pathogen and all the stuff that was just in battle, the immune system comes and clears it out and gets mm-hmm. it out of there. So it wants to like rid the body of this, this stuff that is uh, just essentially garbage at this point. Yep. Um, and then, and then finally rapid resolution of inflammation and that's key. And so all of the inflammation, inflammatory mediators and, and immune cells that were involved in this battle, they can just quickly go back to where they were. And because they've done their job, they, there's no point in them sticking around because them sticking around is, is causing further problems, uh, which we'll get into in the, in the form of inflammation. Inflammation, a lot of immune cells are involved in this inflammatory response. So inflammation is not bad, but it's it's that acute versus chronic inflammation that we'll talk about that. Right. That needs to be distinguished. Um, yeah. So any 
Well, one other thing on viruses is viruses are just a form of uh, of a threat. So right. when we talk about threats, um, viruses tend to to hide in the cytoplasm, so they can get a little bit deeper into the actual cell, uh, and they actually just hijack the the um, and recruit the uh, protein synthesis machinery of the cell. So so they actually get, like their little DNA or RNA. Um, packets of information so they're not actually like things that can so a bacteria can be alive on its own a virus yeah. requires a living host in order to basically hijack the machinery and Start be able and be own. able to basically yeah be able to man that machine and reproduce itself using the innate machinery and one thing that i found really interesting i think it was uh uh was it eric weinstein yeah um or maybe Brett, I think it was, was Brett. Talking. Yeah, Brett Weinstein talked about the evolution. Quick tangent here, but I think it's an interesting um, thought. Is the evolutionary goal of a virus? If a virus kills you, uh, that's that's not what the virus wants, right? Mm -hmm. If you if a virus requires a host in order to propagate, it does not want to kill the host. It wants to basically hijack the host and keep it alive so that it can continue to propagate. So one interesting perspective that he said was that over time, you know, this virus is a novel, this virus just met humans, basically. They're saying that it came from bats and, and wherever it came from, it just met humans. It's interacting with humans for the first time. It's still getting used to it. So if it infects you and you die, well, that virus no longer can propagate its genetic material. But if a virus infects you and it stays, it keeps you alive, so the less, basically what I'm trying to say is as time goes on and this virus has more time to interact with humans, from an evolutionary perspective, the virus will actually want, will have selective pressure to become less lethal. Yes. Which is interesting mm -hmm. because that can make it so that, okay, well, maybe we get really messed up, but we don't die. That's not really any better. But if it gets to a point where it just inhabits our bodies, our bodies fights it, um, but doesn't, doesn't basically get overwhelmed to the point to where we die. That's kind of what the virus wants. So yeah, maybe this virus will that, become less dangerous. That's it. So if a virus is mutating mutations that confer less lethality are actually more beneficial for the virus. Right. Not Which is more interesting. People kind of think of the opposite. They think of it as like a death machine and they think of it. It's like trying to get more deadly. Right. And it's, right. you got to look at that. It's very interesting when you look at it that way. Um, but yeah, it's like essentially just hijacked your cells and it's making its own proteins out of your protein synthesis machinery. So what, what I found interesting is that inside of the cytoplasm of every cell, there's there's parts of our immune system that actually sample proteins that are being made within the cell. And if it, sample, it can tell um, whether a protein is of original, uh, like whether it's been made by our own machinery or whether it's been made by viral machinery. Hmm, and that's one of the initial parts was like, whoa, that's like wait. internal surveillance. Yeah. It's like, wait, a virus is making this protein. That's just kind of in the cell right now. Something's up here and then it will fire in the immune response there. So again, it's that detection initially, but there's all this, like, I find it crazy interesting and that there's this sampling going on. There's all this whole thing going on under the hood. It's like its own world. It's, it's a, it's a different, um, it's, it's a whole different game being played under and and it's like, we're in different, it's a different dimension uh, going is. on. Do you remember in uh, biology when they would make animations of cellular machinery yeah. and it literally looked like a Narnia planet of like craziness, but that's literally, they basically mimicked cellular functions at like a, at a nano level and yeah. put it into this massive uh, animation. And it was like, 
freaking overwhelming. It's like, wow, that's happening in us all the time in a different dimension. And we just, most, that's not even on most people's radar or even like most people can't even picture that. And I couldn't even until mm-hmm. I saw that. And I was like, holy shit, that's crazy. It puts things into perspective. It almost, it is almost like humbling too. And it almost is, it's weirdly, yeah, it, it's weirdly something that opens your eyes up to the world a little bit more. And cause a lot of people are just dealing with their day-to-day like mundane problems, but you're like, yeah, there's a whole, Oh my God, there's, there's so much shit going on on like microscopic levels, macroscopic levels that we yeah. don't even consider um, things that are keeping us healthy that we just take for granted at all times. And the whole system has to run smoothly and efficiently for every microscopic microscopic part of the system to also run smoothly. Right. And that's kind of where we'll get into now is what, what are the things that we can control and what are the things we have a say in that determine whether our immune system is like we say in a tactical Navy seal type uh, system operating system or something that is not even able to protect us because it's just being consumed or it's in a weakened state or Mm -hmm. it's just not able to detect threats quickly and and act quickly. What are some things we can do? And that comes back to the pillars of health again. Well, one thing I want to talk about too, is that, you know, even in line with this army analogy, which is, you know, I didn't really think of it that deeply, but I think it is actually a beautiful analogy because there's so many parallels that you can make to create a story that people can understand without even talking about the immune system, but yeah. making a parallel is the body's resources are limited. So the resources would be like the ammunition, the artillery, the food, all the stuff that you need in order to keep your army uh, healthy and yeah. be able to respond, but also have the tools it needs to be able to do its job. And, you know, if that army, say, say your whole army is getting drunk every single night. So they're poisoning themselves for the mm-hmm. sake of some pleasure. Um, and they're all hung over. Well, if you have, if, if all of their energy is being depleted from something that they're doing themselves because they don't know the harm of it, then they become basically unable to respond tactically if a threat comes. If your whole yeah. army's hung over every single day and has no energy or is just drinking beers all day so they're all overweight and can't even can't even move well then your immune system or your army is no longer able to be effective yeah. and so if you're constantly you know the body has limited energy we have limited resources if they're being spent trying to defend against things that we're self-imposing on ourselves you're taking away the potential resources available for them to defend against something that's real or if you're and another way of looking at it too on top of that i like that analogy another thing is if you're if your troops are are actively fighting things that you're inflicting on it all the time. Right. Then it's getting depleted when it shouldn't be. And it's, it's like, why am I always fighting these battles constantly? Right. And then when something it's like, Oh, an actual threat comes in, here's the actual enemy. Well, I have no energy left to fight fighting all these things that I've (laughs) just been throwing my body all the time or throwing at my body. Um, yeah. So I think that leads nicely into like this, the stress talk. So, so I think there's a difference between, there's a good article that we that we both read on on stress and how it affects the immune system. And a big distinguishing factor here is it, it really matters if it's acute versus chronic stress. Yeah. And we'll get into the the difference between the two, but and and why don't we do that now? Acute stress is is short bouts of stress that in they actually uh enhance immune function. So acute stress immuno enhancement is one of the big parts of the article. Um, and and acute would be like minutes to hours, minutes to hours. And it's that, and if essentially it's that get in, get out. Um, and it actually mobilizes all these inflammatory cells, mobilizes the immune system and all that. We'll get into that. Think about like a training drill for your army. So it's like, 
you you do a training drill you force your immune system to act and by doing that number one they're stronger they're better prepared and you're basically training them to stay healthy and and keep them on their toes so that yeah. they're not falling asleep exactly chronic stress would be this several hours per day oftentimes for periods of weeks or or months or even longer um, and, and this is just this stress that's kind of tends to be a bit lower level, but it can be kind of spiking between higher level and lower level, but it's kind of unrelenting. So we're not letting the, the troops kind of go back and, and, and rest recover. and recover and all of that. Um, the and crazy part about this is that we can distinguish between different types of stressors, yeah. physical stressors. Um, but the big ones are the mental, emotional stressors, these psychological stressors that, that actually produce this physiological response. Mm-hmm. So a, if you're. And, and this is very, this is highly dependent on the individual and your own perception of stress, your processing of stress and your coping with stress, because somebody who might go through somebody might get cut off in traffic and have a full blown stress response. Somebody might get in a, a low level <laughs> argument. See that all the time. Yeah. They, they might go in, they might have a low level argument with somebody and, and be thinking about it for days or, or the full week and right. be in a stress response where the other person in that argument might be fine 30 minutes later. Cause they just went on a walk and like, Oh, that wasn't a big deal. Yeah. Or a couple minutes later, a couple minutes. So that same, that same event, one person goes into stress mode for a week. One person is fine a couple minutes or half an hour later. Right. So it's not the actual it's not the stressor. It's, yeah. It's a combination it's of, the, of the circumstance or the event, but also very much so. And I would agree way more so is the perception of that event by the person and yeah. their resilience to it or their past history in dealing with events like that. Yeah. Um, and, and then it also is like if you're constantly in environments that are throwing stressors at you, that also the amount of stressor. And if, if you're in just like terrible relationships you have your your family's always stressed out if there's stress all around you at all times that's also going to affect your ability so it's kind of quantity quality how you deal with it how you perceive it how you can get over it and how you right. can cope with it and that all that this is all just like that whole psychological mental emotional part of it and that's irrespective of other stressors that that you that are in your life too but this tends to be the more chronic stress. You can get chronic stress from like overtraining. Let's say you're like a marathon runner and you're running every, all day, every day. You're you're working at like you can get chronically stressed from other forms. Physically. Um, and then we can talk about diet later where you, you just the chronic stress of throwing shit into your body all the time. That um, chronic stress of having lack of sleep all the time. That acts as a chronic stressor. Yeah. Um, massive so, chronic stress. So all of these chronic stressors are producing this low level inflammation um, that, that is really going to be immunosuppressant and it's going to just downregulate that, that immune system. Well, I think like we, so the word stress is in like cultural vocabulary. Everyone knows about stress. Most people look at stress in the way that stress is bad, but what most people don't realize is that Mm -hmm. not all stress is bad, right? Like the, like we talked about the acute stress is actually immune promoting because it prepares and trains the troops. Um, you know, but stress is both the path to growth when applied in the right dose and can be the path to disease when it's applied in the wrong dose. So it's really the dose and your ability to handle that stressor and um, get back to baseline and get back to baseline. That is really what matters. So, you know, duration and intensity are kind of these two metrics that, that people will sometimes use to measure stress. Um, and you know, it's very variable, like you said, in your ability to tolerate these stressors, regardless of whether it's duration or intensity, but in general, shorter duration stressors of an intensity that's aligned with your ability to deal with it is the way to build a strong, resilient system. 
Yeah. But when you get into these chronic, you know, like several hours every day for weeks and months and years, uh, that's where that becomes maladaptive and becomes immune suppressing instead of immune promoting. And if we link that to what's actually going on under the hood in terms of the immune system, an example is if you, if you acutely stress your body, let's say you go for a run or let's say you go for like sprints, something like that. You're acutely stressing your body. What's happening is you're, you're getting your blood flowing. And, and what they've shown is that acute stressors like this, actually the, the amount of leukocytes flowing around in your bloodstream. So leukocytes are, leukocytes are, are part of like essentially white blood cells, but right. these are like immune, immune cells. So your immune system cells start to, your infiltrate. Army. army just gets mobilized into your bloodstream, starts flowing around to different parts of your body. And actually it gets, goes to these areas where potential threats might be. So it, it's going to, uh, it go it basically gets flushed around goes into like lung tissues near the skin all these areas around your body so it's going into like high alert mode right and that from an, this article from an evolutionary standpoint it's saying hey, if we got in a if we were running sprinting or or hunting in the past there's a likelihood that we could get banged up a little bit. We might, if we were hunting, we might get wounded. We might trip. We might fall. We might, might get, get in scraped. a fight. We might, anything to do with getting an, an acute stressor might lead us to the point where we might need our immune system to fight off any sort of wounds we get, infections we get yeah. as a result of the wounds. So this is, it's actively mobilizing the immune system. And with that comes this acute inflammation. Um, the, the key back to the initial thing we talked about is that, once the immune system has done its thing, in this case, it's just going through kind of a, a training regimen. Right, it's a drill. It's a drill. So once it's gone through this drill, then that rapid um, decrease of, of inflammation, which we initially talked about, is really a, the key part of this. So get these inflammatory cells just going and, and exercise increases inflammation and then shut it all down. Go back to where you were, get the army back into like rest mode, um, right. recover mode. Uh, that's acute stress. That's acute uh, physical stress in particular. And then that chronic stress, like you said, is just let's mobilize the troops all the time. Let's get them fighting off these lower level invaders or, or stresses all the time. Now we're just working and working and working them. Oh, what happens? A, a big uh, invader comes in. Oh, crap. We've been dealing with this. We're half of ourselves are already busy dealing with all this other shit. Right. So we can't we don't have the ability to to actually go and, and attend to this actual threat with the same uh tactical response the same force the same um ability to kind of get in get out and shut it down right the army's um, tired it's banged up it's literally been working for 24 hours a day for months on end so it has no reserve tank of resources because you've already plowed through that and i mm -hmm. think modern life inherently has become highly stressful at a baseline without us even realizing it like i think yeah. it's been kind of slippery over the past 50 years where we've you know all of a sudden these things where you know, thousands of years ago, life was very simple. Life was very, you know, you had these, it was high contrast by that. I mean, like you have these very intense bouts of hunting, of gathering, of fighting, whatever. But then you also have these massive prolonged bouts of relaxation, recovery, preparing, preparing the food, but not being like actively in a, in a stress state. And, you know, these days it's like traffic is a major stressor for a lot of people. Um, bills, work deadlines, stressful mm. relationships, like all of this soaks up your energy and is like you constantly fighting these micro battles on a, on a daily basis. So there's not really much left to number one, repair the body out of just repair itself. And number two, defend from a major threat. Mm. And so, and that makes a lot of sense. And I think most people can understand that concept. If your army is constantly fighting, it's not going to be able to have much energy available to fight a major threat. 
here's an interesting one. What about the, what about if you're always fearful of getting sick? Imagine the stress that causes. For sure. Because that mental stress creates a physiological, like the body doesn't know. It does not know how to distinguish between a threat that you're making up yourself, but intrinsically believe in versus an actual threat. They are the same in terms of the physiological response. So you can literally not have any physical threat that you're fighting, but if you think that you you're constantly in danger, you are self-imposing a psychological threat that is creating a physiological response. Yeah. So, so you're by being autoimmune, like maybe your body attacks itself. Like there's a lot of ways that can happen. Or it can just be literally by being fearful and stressed about getting sick, you're much more likely to get sick. So it's a self fulfilling prophecy when it comes to, to that. This is the danger that we're dealing with right now. Once we impose fear on everybody and everyone's like super, so they're like a lot of people are in stress mode about this sickness guess what? You're, you're, you're going to get sick. Your chances of getting sick are way higher, right? That's whether so it's crazy. with the virus or not, whether it's with the that virus, another virus, cold viruses, whether yeah. it's anything, your immune system is going to be in a much shittier state to actually deal with threats. <laughs> so it's so crazy, but how come this isn't talked about? Right. It's it. That's why that's what's to it, all it is, is news and media throwing fear at your and showing you the deaths that have happened and all of that. And then what is that creating? Just more and more fear. And it's just perpetuating right. it. Why aren't we getting messages of, of, Guys, what, here's what you can do. Here's some basics of how your immune system works. Um, here's how your health and your thoughts and, and your mindset and your stress levels all affect your immune system. Get on top of this gradually so that you're in a better uh, uh, position to fight off anything right. that might come your way. And don't, don't worry beyond that as long as you're taking care of these basics. Like, yeah, like a well-functioning immune system only happens when the body feels safe. And that yes. includes the body and the mind. And I think there's a really big issue in media right now in whether it's social media or mainstream media where we've we've essentially dug our heels into capitalizing on the human negativity bias where bad things are way more worthy of our attention than good things yeah right because if something bad was happening evolutionarily you have to tune into that shit because that could potentially be life-threatening that's way more important than the good thing that happened the good thing that happened is great but that's not really that important for survival and I think we've like, if you all news is bad news, it seems there's very few news that you look at that is actually good news. And that's a big problem because essentially if you're tapped into media on a regular basis and right now, like I think media for some people is actually a distraction because they're scared of actually seeing their life for what it is. Mm -hmm. Like I find myself looking for distractions often to distract me away from the things that actually are bothering me. Yeah. And I think now that we have the opportunity, no, like people are at home, they're able to access media 24 seven. And I would argue that even during work hours, people are still on Facebook, they can still access media. And if you're 24 seven tapped into that, and everything you look at, or the vast majority is negative, then the world is a dangerous place. And you should be shit scared 24 seven. Guess what that does to your immune system? destroys it's like a nuke for your immune mm-hmm. system, your whole army is getting nuked every day, and you're self imposing it. And it's a big problem. Yeah, that that is that is essentially what's ha- what's happening right now, and so people gotta kind of wake up to these th- these things that are that are going on and start looking at things a little bit differently. Um, yeah, we need we need constructive advice to give to to let people know that okay, certain things you can't control. You can control the amount of time that you consume negative media. So that's one thing you have control over. Now it might be hard to get away from the addiction of distraction and constantly looking at that because you've probably, most people have developed a habit of just keeping the, my mom's notorious for this and I always have to help her with it where it's like the TV is always on. 
That's not good. Having no. constant streams of input, most of which is negative news, is is a terribly toxic environment. So control the amount of media. Like and how much understand what the narrative is of the media too. Because yeah. I was talking to a friend about this yesterday. They could just as easily the, the if you turned on the news, they could just as easily handpick all of these cases of people who have gotten over it and they could even take the the oldest and then you see like some sample it's like all this negative news and then you see a 103 year old in kentucky and this this was actually something i saw uh fights off coronavirus and then they interviewed <laughs> her it was a, a lady in kentucky and she's like yeah i felt pretty sick for a little bit but i got over it and it was like Oh, okay. So a 103 year old got over it and they probably got over, they probably have a very healthy immune system. Right. They're 103 for a reason. You don't get to 103 for not being healthy. <laughs> That's a great point. So it's, a, it's, a, it's, this is just some form of natural selection too. You're 103, you're already healthy. You're probably right. doing things your whole life. And then that probably gets into a scenario where you're a person who can fight it off at 103 and then continue to go. So if you put that up, plus the other people, all the other people over 80 who have fought it off, you would say, oh my God, look at all these people fighting this off. This is crazy. Look at, look at this. Wow. And, and that's not to say that there isn't people dying from it, but you could paint a whole different story. You yeah. could, you could, it's just, all it is, is a story. And it's just, you have to be objective. It could be a positive one, a negative one, but ideally we get a realistic one. Yes. And that's probably somewhere in the middle, right? We don't want undue positivity, but we also don't want undue negativity. We want to find out what the truth is of the matter. Well, and I saw something the other day, or actually I think it was this morning or no, yesterday when I was researching and they basically talked about how you might have an 80 year old that has a 50 year old immune system. You yeah. might have an 80 year old that's incredibly healthy, is doing all the right things, isn't a smoker, eats real food, all the good stuff. And then you might have a 50 year old who smoked their entire life, who eats shit food, who doesn't sleep, who drinks. They might have a 150 year old immune system. Well, guess who's going to get more messed up if they get the virus? Yeah. The 80 year old that's healthy is probably going to do is going to do a way better job defending because their immune system, their army's primed mm -hmm. than the 50 year old who is unhealthy. So we need, we focus so much on age. Oh, the older you are, the more dangerous it is. Well, no, the healthier you are, the less dangerous it is. The, the unhealthier you are, the more dangerous it is. So let's all focus on improving what we can to improve our health. And there's a shitload of things we can do. I know people, I have friends who are in their twenties and thirties who get sick six, seven times a year. <laughs> yeah. And, immune then systems it, are just and then it's destroyed. You, it's pretty obvious. You look a little bit into it. What are you doing? It's just, your health is not on point. Your yeah. sleep is shit, your stress level, all the things we're talking about today. Why do you get sick six times a year? Why do I got get sick? Um, no times a year or, or once a year or what? Like it, it why does a 50 year old not get sick? Uh, hasn't been sick in three years. How come? Is it just luck? Is it chance? Is it because they don't interact with any viruses? No, that that's not it. Right. It's if we're really concerned about interacting with viral load you should probably stay in a bubble for your whole life every time you go out and every time you touch anything right you're getting virus on you it's a good idea to wash your hands there's things you can do from a public health perspective to protect yourself from that but even from the common cold standpoint and the flu standpoint we're getting inundated if we just saw the amount of viruses floating around the air at all times it would probably wake shocking. us up to like, oh, I can't even avoid this. I should probably just just stay in a bubble. <laughs> and, and I want to play devil's that. advocate there because if every single time you get dirty, you wash your hands. If you wash your hands 10 times a day, which right now the perception is washing your hands is good. Sure. Right now it's good to mitigate your risk. But if your standard is to take such a strong approach to 
mitigate ever being exposed to something negative, well, your troops aren't going to be very friggin' strong if they've never had to fight anything. Yeah. So there is a balance, I think, where the people who are most obsessed with washing their hands or being clean and hygienic, those people's armies have never, ever fought anything. I don't know about you, but if I have an army, if I get to choose between an army that I have to defend my body, one that's never been into war, one that has never done a training drill versus one that's been fighting intermittent battles and is like just super strong battle tested, but also primed for action. I'm taking the one that's battle tested. I'm taking the one who, you know, I don't wash my hands very much and, and I don't get sick hardly ever. I hardly ever get sick. So I'm not saying don't wash your hands right now. I'm just saying in general, our obsession with hand washing, like, do you think people back in the day, wash their hands every single day, every single meal, every single thing they touch? No, Mm. they didn't. And I know, and I'm saying this because I have people in my family, in my extended family that are obsessed with hand washing and they get sick all the time. In general. And I think right now, I mean, in general, it's, it is a good way to, if you look at the situation right now, even just putting things into perspective, if you go out and you at the grocery store and you're touching some different things, even though they wipe them off and stuff, go home, wash your hands, and then you're good. Right. right. Because viruses are only going to get in through your, like your, your mouth, your nose, your eyes, any like cuts potentially, but your mouth, your nose, your eyes. Um, so even at that, like if we all just did the, the basics of that, um, and, and during this time you're already pretty safe. There's right. this, and then obviously if people, it's basics, like if, if somebody you can't, if you're around people like within close quarters all the time and there's sick people and there, there's people coughing and there's people with, uh, you know, all the like droplets and, and they've shown like on, um, on cameras, like how that can, okay, fine. There's that too. So again, the social distancing thing, but it's kind of a middle ground. And, and like you're saying, baseline outside of this whole pandemic, mm-hmm. again, wa- like be you, smart, wa- wa- wash your hands. But I, I, the point you're making is is very valid. Because there's a balance. I was just wanted to make sure people know there's a friggin' balance because balance. if you're too cautious, then you never actually get the exposure to things that train your army and you have an army that doesn't know how to do shit. Yeah. Maybe they overreact, right? This happens too, where you get a minor little thing For sure. and then your army's like, well, we've never fought anything before. So let's just do, let's mobilize everyone. And that's, then you can actually do more damage. So it's like, that's how kids immune systems get strong in the first place is by, by just exposure, exposure to pathogens playing in dirt playing it like it's just that that ultra clean you're talking to the ultra clean part of it i don't want that people to be confused in during this time because during this time uh of course we're trying to like uh play mitigate our part to risk. flatten the, the curve and mitigate risk and and we don't want to be spreaders of anything and all of that um but just as a whole you know, beyond all of this as a, like your immune system is um the exposure to pathogens is, is something that allows it to uh, fight it off. And this is a four, this is one we haven't had exposure to before. That's why it's kind of a novel scenario as well. But, um, but yeah. yeah. And I think like, so maybe let's get into next, like, how do you, let's look at the pillars of health and what yeah. things can you do in each of them to, to improve your ability to fight something off. Okay. But I also think it's really important to say that you shouldn't be waiting until catastrophe hits in order to train your defenses, right? You don't wait until someone attacks you full frontal attack to go out and start recruiting people for your army right? To pay attention to the health of your army. You should be paying attention to that all the time so that when something happens, you're ready, right? Like someone said, you don't build an aircraft carrier when a war starts, you build it way in advance because it takes a shitload of time to build an aircraft carrier. It takes a long time 
and a focus on health on a day-to-day basis to build a resilient immune system that is able to tolerate any threat that comes at it. You don't like there is stuff you can do right now to start building a more resilient immune system, but you know, this situation is going to end. And if people just go back to normal, to their normal, super unhealthy lifestyle, yeah, it's not, we need to learn from this. We need to learn. I think one of the biggest things to learn from this whole thing is that we are, we have fragile systems in society and we have fragile bodies and the more fragile you are, the more sketchy things are going to be when something like this happens. And we need to focus more on the. And it's not hard. This is the underlying thing. It's not hard to build a resilient body. And it's it's doing your part because all ever anybody just it's just a black or white thing. And when people are saying the, the message is just social distance, don't 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 spread. Don't right. Spread. It's okay. such a stupid. Like, also, yeah, you need your <laughs> exactly. immune system to be functioning properly you need to be resilient and anti-fragile so you can fight things off and if we take can you imagine if that was the theme the the primary theme in media was hey what are you doing today let's all do this together yeah. let's all focus on our sleep together this week yeah can you imagine that yeah. let's that's get through healthy this media that's let's get through this together let's let's yes. act healthy because if you take a let's just do a thought experiment if, if you take a 65 year old who hasn't taken care of their body their whole life and isn't taking care of it currently. And they get exposed to this infection. And then you take another 65 year old who has taken care of their body their whole life and is currently taking care of their body. And we can equate that to healthy immune system, well-functioning versus not healthy and not well-functioning immune system. That same 65 year old who has a healthy immune system is going to be a person who might get, they might get sick. I'm not saying they won't get sick, but they might be in their, in their home for, uh, just fighting it off. Right. What are we concerned about? We're concerned about the hospital systems getting in, uh, overburdened. So if you take higher and higher percentages of people and, and turn them into the people who fight it off at home, then we have less and less people who are in our hospital systems. Right. And that comes down to each and every individual. If you take an 80 year old who's been healthy their whole life and they can still get through it at home and they don't have to go to the hospitals, we're on, we're, not, we're, uh, we're deburdening, deburdening that system. the system. And that's the only thing we're concerned about is our right. healthcare systems getting overburdened. And that's right. why we're doing all of this. So the messaging needs to be, we need to act as individuals to get our, to help each other out and be healthy. And, and this is, we're going to get through this together. It's good for everybody. It helps everybody out when everyone's a little bit healthier and we, I agree. we can, we can do this because that is the biggest. Cause I think one thing that is stressing people out is they don't know how to take action. They feel yeah. helpless. They're yeah. like, well, this shit's happening to me. I am powerless to do anything to mitigate that. But the reality is every single person has the opportunity to be an activist, to play their yes. part in helping the situation, but By it's being not healthy. being communicated in any form of media right like the people who are unhealthy are probably not surrounded by healthy people are probably not looking into the resources of how to improve their health right they would have been doing that so we need to get we need to find a way to get access to the people who aren't taking care of themselves to help them understand the simplicity and how actionable certain things are to take care of themselves that is the problem that is the problem to solve now that we're talking about it Yes. And that's not a problem getting addressed by like all these stupid announcements saying you're going to get a fine by walking into a park. You're not, you're going to have to wait 40 minutes to get your groceries. Like that's not a very good message to send. That's a reality. But if that's the prime focus, you're destroying it people's immune systems even more. It needs to be both. The messages, there needs to be multiple stories going on and, and not just one. We can't ignore this whole big part of the story. Right. And th- and this is a longer term thing too. And but we and need it, to put it in perspective. And it comes, it, yeah. And it, it comes down to, 
if you start looking at the data and the data when it, when it was all said and done, we will see the data of the people who died. We already are seeing it. So we, what do we see when the people who died? Well, obviously, age is a big thing. And what happens with age? Well, it's just obviously immune system will dampen over time with age. It's right. what happens with, with, our, with our bodies. Our systems just aren't functioning as well over time. And if you're but unhealthy, also, you've accumulated more unhealthy yeah, time. That's another more, big factor. Exactly. It's more unhealthy time. And even if you distinguish, if you took... Um, it it's age, but on top of that layered on, t- on top of it is all these other um, conditions. So high blood pressure, what uh, Charles Eisenstein was saying, high blood pressure is in 70% of cases that have, have died. Diabetes is in 30% of cases that have died. So we right. start layering all these things on and then we start looking at, well, what are these conditions? And then we look a bit deeper and we say, these are all conditions that are preventable in most cases. Yeah. So then we got to say, well, why, how are they preventable? Well, it comes back to being healthy again. So it comes back to taking care of your own body and taking care of your pillars of health. And again, if you shifted all these preventable things away and, and turned all these people into slightly healthier versions of themselves, then we'd have a different statistic now. Yeah, and, and it's and really... This is in this case, but in general, it goes for all the other things in the future too. And I would like that, listening to that Charles Eisenstein video on Rebel Wisdom was like super, it made me, the, essentially when I walked away from that, I literally went on a walk and kind of thought about it. I was like, the problem we have right now is not primarily a COVID-19 problem. It's a health problem that COVID-19 just put a magnifying glass on and said, hey, everyone's unhealthy. And now we've got this stressor, which shouldn't actually be a massive burden on our system, which has become a massive burden because everyone is in a state of poor health. I would say it's kind of in the middle. It's like, it shouldn't be as much of a burden on our system right? because it is a novel infection. These things are Pose threat to our existence, even right. And if it was deadlier than it is, but the magnitude it, of the specific threat, stressor shouldn't be as much of a right. burden as it. It's kind of that middle ground, I'd say. But yeah, I agree. It's if we were all a much healthier society, it wouldn't be as much of a burden as right. it is. It's highlighting fragility. And then also we can talk. There's so many aspects to it. Like if our system was better prepared for this, it also wouldn't be as much of a burden in right. terms of like if our if our resources and if our hospital systems weren't already stretched to their limits and all of these other things, if we had preparation in terms of, of like all the PPE and all of that, it, like it's just, it. In general, all aspects of it, it shouldn't be this much of a burden on our system right. from an individual level, from a societal level, from a healthcare level, all of that, I would say. Uh, and that is what it is. But it's, uh, I think, hopefully, like you say, people will learn from it and um, will be better prepared as individuals from a health perspective, but also as a society and a medical system and all of that so we can deal with this shit uh, better. I agree. So let's talk about the pillars of health. We'll go through it pretty quick. But yeah. first, I want to just talk about a sleep. So... Like sleep has a massive overall impact on your health, but especially so for the immune system. And, you know, if you say, for example, you get the flu, what do you do? You sleep because sleep conserves energy and allows all of that energy to be diverted to the immune system so it can fight that infection, right? You're not eating. You're not going and running a marathon or training. You're sleeping because that is what matters most. And I think the fact that basically we have this systemic sleep deprivation problem where most people do not get enough sleep. Like there's a reason coffee is the second most traded commodity in the world aside from oil is because everyone's trying to cover up a sleep deprivation problem. And I think if you're chronically sleep deprived, you are massively immune suppressed. And this is this thing where like what better time to clean up your sleep behaviors than during a time where you need to build a massively resilient immune system to fight something. So sleep is important. 
when you look into what actually goes on, like I looked up some sleep and immune function, the, the, when you sleep, paradoxically, the immune system actually fires up again, just like the bed of exercise that you did. And it starts kind of um, really uh, getting these immune cells to, to go around the body and kind of surveil and do their thing. And there's a bunch of stuff. So sleep is like training drills. Yeah. It's like training drills. And there's a, um, you know how their sleep is, is known to be like for, for memory consolidation, it's really important. Mm-hmm. So this this article on sleep in the immune system said for immune memory, that's where immune Ooh, memory is interesting. Uh, consolidated during sleep. So they're saying that if you are fighting a pathogen, your immune system kind of remembers how to deal with it when you're sleeping. Mm-hmm. Um, so that was kind of a cool thing. But but yeah, that's basically it's it's it goes so deep into the details of like all these different cells. But beyond that, your immune system sleep is important for your immune system. Getting an adequate amount of it is important. Sleep de- de- deprivation is a form of stress, and it is linked to. Uh, there's there's plenty of studies showing even two hours of sleep deprivation, like getting like six hours a night and uh, fighting off the common cold um, mm. and stuff like that. You can find all these studies, even like mice studies and and rat studies. Um, and, and then they've done a bunch of studies on like lack of sleep and when they give you a vaccine and how it affects you differently than if you are uh, sleeping and your ability to cope with that stuff like that. So, so it's, it's important all around, like you say, for, for immune function. Yeah. Sleep's a big one. Uh, next one, let's talk about food. So we talked about these and, you know, like back to that, you know, these are all things where if you have bad habits and bad behaviors in these things, these are the added stressors that are constantly being fought by your army that you're self-imposing. So if you're sleep deprived, your army's fighting that stressor all the time. If you're, uh, you know, we'll talk about food next. If you're eating terrible food that almost doesn't even, that is almost indistinguishable or no, uh, is almost so far removed from what natural food is that your body doesn't even recognize it as food. It actually recognizes it as a threat, as a stressor that must be cleared. Well, every single meal you have, if you're not eating real food, is technically a stressor that your body is diverting energy resources to fight, right? You're like, oh, what are these toxins? Well, let's, you know, rally the troops. We got to fight this dose of toxin that we're being fed every single day, which is just depleting their energy so that when an actual threat comes, they don't have the resources available. So I think, you know, 70%, the gut houses 70% of the cells that make up your immune system. If you're constantly barraging them with shit food, you're doing a disservice to those cells, which are very important when you fight an actual threat. And then the other part of it is that it, your immune system, in order for it to function well, it needs the, the adequate nutrients and building blocks. So in the form of like micronutrients, even right. vitamins, minerals, uh, zinc, vitamin A, all these other things that if we're eating a nutrient deprived diet, we're just not getting the actual building blocks of the cells of the immune system so they can function well. So it's kind of a double-edged sword. Um, If you're feeding it shit, you're going to actually stress your immune system out, but you're also not giving it the things it needs to actually fight that off. Like minerals are, have a really potent role in enzyme uh, and immune reactions. So if you're not getting the minerals, if you're eating highly processed foods, which are completely mineral deficient, then you're not getting any of those essentially raw ingredients that are required for all these enzymatic functions, for all these immune functions to actually happen. Not only that, like you said, it's a double whammy. You don't get the right stuff to fuel the immune system and you actually tax the immune system because it now has to clear this quote unquote food that you just ate. So food's a big one. And I think even another part of food is, you know, trying out some fasting experiments. And as a side note to this, Every time I do a post on fasting and the value of fasting, people freak out 
So I think what I'm going to try and do, and we could probably even do it together is like a, a post breakdown where we review, we, we pick out some comments and essentially go through because social media is riddled with lazy thinking and with like this crazy, um, combative, like just, it's so, it brings out the worst in people. So I would, I haven't looked at the comments, but I know that some people, uh, have told me like, have you seen all the comments on your fasting post? And I was like, I haven't, but I think we should keep it as like a log documentation to actually go in there and review and talk about at a more macro level. This is how human communication breaks down through the matrix. When people talk through Instagram, like we need to talk about that, but fasting experiments, like food, even if you're eating real food, which is important, digesting food is a resource intensive process. And so if you need to bolster your immune system, if you like a lot of times when I feel like I'm getting a cold, I'll skip a couple meals more than what I usually would, or I'll go more time in the fastest state. And essentially what you're doing is resources that would be needed to digest that food that you'd be eating more frequently are now able to be rediverted to your immune system so that your body can fight whatever invader is trying to fight. And so trying some fasting experiments where you're going longer periods of time without eating or even doing a 24 hour fast and seeing how you feel like do an experiment, write it down, see how you feel. And I think that's something that no one is being told about fasting in, in, you know, whether from a medical standpoint or especially not in mainstream. Why? Because the food industry, like when you don't eat food, you also don't create profits for them. So no one really talks about it. I want to look into the, if there's any, like the science behind it as well. But I mean, from another perspective, like if you're sick, a lot of times you're not necessarily hungry. Right. If you go just by like feel, if you listen to your body, like when you're sick, you feel sleepy and they're saying, well, you should sleep. And if you're not feeling hungry, you should probably not, not eat as much. Right. Or, and if we go back to just basic signals. Um, and I remember someone, I was speaking to someone about fasting and they were overweight and they're like, well, if I don't eat, I'm not going to have any energy. And I didn't say this, but in the back of my brain, I'm like, you have multiple layers of energy layered on your body. Mm-hmm in terms of fat, maybe not eating the toxic foods will make you use the energy that you have stored, right? Like I didn't, I said it in a very diplomatic way, but it's like you have energy everywhere. You have too much, you have an excess of energy, which is actually causing you health problems. Mm -hmm. But that person, what their story was that I need to eat food in order to get energy. Not that they're them being overweight and carrying extra fat was energy that could be used if they weren't consuming exogenous food. Yeah. Like it's just our way of thinking has just been really skewed in, in modern culture and we need to change the narrative. I think. I don't know why that wouldn't be more of an attractive thing to, to strive towards in general is, yeah, is it's just free. like, but uh, no, but in gen- in, uh, in terms of like the, just uh, thinking cr- more critically and, and may- maybe trying to, uh, weed through a lot of the emotional baggage that comes along with these topics and trying to uncover what the actual truth is in any given topic or situation or personally. I don't know why that isn't more of an attractive thing for people in general. Uh, Cause to me, it's attractive. If, if I can you're talking about like having the talk with someone who's overweight. No, I'm talking about just in ge- in general. You're talking about like people who get defensive and they, people emotionally on social media and all of that. Right. Why wouldn't you, or people in that case too, with the person who's made their, st- why why wouldn't it be attractive for you to try to strip away all of these stories that you've been telling yourself or strip away all the emotions that are getting in the way of the truth and try to uncover more of the truth because 
that the truth is attractive for for me, and it sh- I think it should be for 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 everybody. Yeah, but it's the same reason you take cold showers. You and you embrace uh, stress or work as an opportunity for growth. Whereas yeah. most people staying aligned, having their story or their way of thinking, like their ideology, so connected with their their identity, is if you if you go against their ideology or their way of thinking, they're so personally connected to that ideology that you're mm-hmm. basically attacking them personally. And it's yeah. work to, to get out of that. And it's hard and most people just be aren't willing. willing to put in the work. And you have to be willing to take a, some beatings along the way. Uh, some like emotional and like, yeah, not real personal beatings. beatings. <laughs> right. You have to be willing to, you have to be able to get uncomfortable call your own bullshit on yourself. Yeah. Over and over again to, discover and you almost have to like just give in to and just say hey look at what i've been doing to lie to myself all this time and i need to be able to take this because at the end of that will be more ease and more more peace once you can get rid of some of these these bullshit narratives that you've been telling yourself over time and that's all in search of what the truth is behind it right and why isn't that an attractive thing? It should be an attractive thing, but I think that you're right. I don't think people can get through the initial beatings that, or threats to their identity or the story that they've created about themselves. That initial hump that's been so deeply ingrained is so hard to get through. Right. If you attack somebody, not attack, but if you address some something that somebody's saying about themselves that's completely not right, well, that might be something that they've been living with for their whole life. And then they might go into further threat and not want to see it. So that barrier that's created is not letting them get past that hump where the, the truth is at the other side of that. And that's, that's, that's the freedom of it all. And I think that's where that, that more health, health and better behaviors like lies there more. People love being victims. They're, mm-hmm. they're addicted to being victims. And they're also, you put out a general post that is not malicious, not attacking. It's just saying an objective statement people internalize that and find a way to take it personally because it makes them feel something right. It might distract them. And just for the record, if social media is making you upset all the time, you should quit social media. Mm -hmm. If following the foot collective is making you upset, you should unfollow the foot collective Mm -hmm. and you don't have to tell the whole world that you're unfollowing it. Just unfollow it. That's (laughs) that we want to spread health. If health means not looking at the objective information that we're putting out, then don't look at the information like people just it's like a self-inflicted wound every time someone looks at social media they get fired up and angry and and anxious it's like cutting putting a cut in yourself every single day you look at your phone you it just shows how unobjective people are with their behaviors they do something that causes them harm every day multiple times a day and they don't realize that like you're cutting yourself well and back to the immune system what are you doing to it right (laughs) <laughs> right. Every time you get fired up over an Instagram post and go in a fight or flight, your body doesn't know that looking at an Instagram post that got you upset is any different than running from a tiger that's chasing you. Yeah. And if you're doing that every day, imagine you ran from a tiger 50 times a day, every day, you'd be destroyed. You wouldn't yeah. have an immune system. You don't have anything. Exactly. Like, that's what's happening. <laughs> it's crazy. That's uh, the, it's a big problem. And that's just, that's a society. We talked about individual level, but this is the whole societal level and this group thinking, group behavior and um, all this stuff that just gets jumbled together. The emotions that people can't seem to wade through or, or get a, get a grip on or control. Right. 
um, and used to their advantage in terms of, instead of their, um, their disadvantage. And, and, uh, yeah, all of that, all, all of that feeds right back into the immune system that, that we, we kind of just talked about. Well, so, okay. So we covered sleep, we covered food. I think the last, you know, the last ones to cover are movement. You know, movement is a fundamental need. If you don't have it, that's a lack of movement is a stressor for the body. Yeah. And I think just at a baseline, most people are self-imposing a, a, a massive stressor by not moving all day. And then paradoxically, uh, forms of exercise are also a stressor. But we, as we talked about before, they're a healthy right. stressor that can get then uh, mobilize the troops, train them, get them back to baseline. So so and then also movement is is key for just getting blood flowing through your body, lymph fluid flowing right. through your body and all these immune cells as well. So it's just it's key part of the actual like the the tubes and the in the fluid and everything is if we look at it that way the biology of of being healthy is is uh, dependent on movement as well yeah like don't drive your car for three years leave it outside let me know how the things run yeah. when you start it again it's not gonna run very well and yeah. so i think every day like we just have a shorter life cycle with the body if every day you're not moving like if every day you let if you left a car sitting still for a month but then when you did drive it, you friggin' redlined it for an hour straight. You think that car's not going to explode? Like that's what people are doing. They sit all day and then they blast out an hour of exercise. So the lack of movement is a stressor. The high intensity exercise that they're doing with poor movement patterns is also a stressor. Part of it's beneficial, but part of it is actually doing more harm. So it's like we need to take a, a broader perspective here because this whole thing is black and white thinking of exercise is good. No exercise is bad. It's like, well, let's just have a conversation about it because it's not black or white. And it's really about just move more during the day. Move more is good. And then once in a while, stress your body with exercise as well. On exactly. Top of that. And I guess the last one is the mind. So the mind and the immune system are really tightly linked. You we know, your thoughts about that with like your emotions, stress yep. part. I agree. And then oh. you're talking about just the, the only other thing would be like talk, like other toxins like uh, alcohol and, and drugs and things like that, which, which in short, in smaller doses, you could argue are not, necessarily too disruptive and potentially could have some benefits in terms of maybe if you if you enjoy a glass of red wine every once in a while uh, or if you have a beer with friends every once in a while and it brings positive um you know emotions to your life and and you don't have any negatives that's actually a net positive thing probably right but if you're so it's all in that dosage as well and red wine studies there's you can I don't, you'd have to look into that but there's there's plenty of studies that say hey if you drink a glass of red wine here and there it's actually good for you because right. of these reasons whatever so but if you let's not lie here as well if we if you pound six beers a night that's not good anymore. And if <laughs> right. you're, if you're chronically drinking, if you're drinking to cover up stresses in your life and using it as a coping mechanism, then there's a whole, we don't have to go down that road, but that's, that's not healthy anymore. So right. it's, it's all the, the dose. dose, the dose. So let's just, I mean, we won't spend too much time. We've been going for about an hour, but let's talk a little bit on just airing out our thoughts on how things are being managed because it, it's pretty to me at least, and maybe it's just my perspective, but it's pretty disturbing how things are being managed and how it seems so obvious that there are alternative strategies that would lower the overall suffering level of how the situation is playing out. And again, I think it's important that we say this is very specific to the, this specific time. Yes. Um, because I do it's think April 16th that, today. Yeah. So initially I, if, if you, there's a whole, this is a complex subject, but if we just touch on it quickly, we'll just dip our toes. In I a think bit. the initial, the initial reaction was actually warranted and good. 
uh, mm-hmm. in terms of like what we did to shut things down, shut down big events, shut down uh, like social distancing, all of these things were actually good because we're faced with something that we don't have any data and we don't know about. Right. And it's a threat that, oh shit, what is this? This is new. What's going to happen? We don't know. Is this going to devastate us? Is it going to decimate our healthcare systems? We don't know. Nobody knows. So let's just do this. And that was, that's good. That's actually good. I think um, just because we didn't have data, if we had data, if we had all the data in hindsight, then we could easily paint a, a story and say, well, maybe that wasn't good. Well, and we or had some data, but I think some of that data was skewed. Like the data you see from Italy is like, if you actually dig deeper under the hood and look at the specifics of who's dying, what are their pre-existing health conditions? What is their lifestyle like? Like we need to investigate data more than just saying, oh, shitload of people are dying in Italy. Yeah. We need to go into lockdown. And it all comes down to like the, the healthcare systems is the biggest argument. So if, if we only have a limited amount of healthcare resources we don't want to uh influx them too too hardcore i understand that's kind of the i think that's the biggest reason why we're doing all of this it seems to me that and now that's a whole other story like i said is well why aren't we more prepared for things like this why is our healthcare already stretched to its limit right are we ill prepared for this so maybe that's back on you it's funny it's funny how it, it it's it's almost like hey it's on the the people to make sure our healthcare systems and then we can kind of turn it back and say well why aren't our healthcare systems prepared for this why don't we have the proper equipment to deal with this yeah. why is there plenty of studies saying we should have been prepared for this but we're not why so that's the whole double whammy too and and kind of back and forth between the government saying we're keeping you safe we're by keeping you inside but it's almost a cover-up for we're not prepared for this and yeah, then we messed whole, up so we're keeping you safe by not letting you do anything or work or like it's and weird there's, and there's multiple aspects to this story there's there's the whole por- piece of why weren't we notified as as early by uh, initial countries that right. so there's uh, it gets really deep but um well i, I guess to give some context mike and i live in ottawa ontario we're currently in lockdown as of april 16th which means closure of parks, uh, closure of non-essential workplaces, Mm -hmm. which I want to touch on because there's something to be said there. Closure of restaurants, restrictions on social gatherings of more than five people. And this is all being um, basically put in place as Emergency Management and Civil Protection Act. Mm -hmm. And I really think Civil Protection Act needs to be unpacked a bit because it's bad. That's basically saying this is for your protection. And it's, and all of these measures are being forced by police and bylaw. So yeah. you can literally like you are literally at risk of getting a fine or getting arrested for not abiding by the civil protection act laws. Yeah. That's slippery. So it's, so there's, I think there's two components to this is the, how do we, are we dealing with it right from a medical standpoint? And then are we dealing with, are, are the civil, the civil and, um, law aspect of it is are we dealing with it right from that standpoint yeah it's being done for our benefit yeah basically. and then and then the other thing is in my opinion we dealt with it good initially but now is the time as more data starts to come in we had a data problem more than anything yeah and of course we can't make these decisions based on poor data but we can't be halted in our tracks by um we have to start making decisions now to go to move forward. Mm-hmm. So we've been on lockdown for five weeks now. And uh, now is the time to start th- asking Has it questions. Been five weeks? Yeah, this is oh week my. five. That's crazy. So now's the time Doesn't to start asking like questions. And, and initially what I've noticed in the first two weeks, three weeks, even if you started asking questions, people would actually, you couldn't ask questions. Even. Right. People would shame you. What I see questions. now is that people are starting to ask some questions and, and not be shamed as much. Well, I so think we forget that. A, 
it's our right to ask questions. Like, yeah, okay. You need to ask questions. When you elect people to make decisions for you, the people we elected work for us. Yeah. Right. We're paying them. They work for us and they work for us to make decisions that are in our best interest. So when you start asking questions about the true reason why these decisions are getting made and whether or not, in fact, they are in our best interest. And if they're not, whose best interest are they in? Yeah. That's where you're right. We're going through a phase now where you're seeing it on social media. People are, are questioning. You're seeing it just in, in, even in my personal circles, people are like, well, do we still need to be doing this? Like what yeah. are, yeah. Yeah. It's starting to shift just subtly based on, yeah. Even I know some people who are very, very like, if you like, I couldn't even have these conversations with certain individuals even two weeks ago and now I can. So that's right. interesting. Yeah. So, and then you see it on the news too, even like our uh, uh, premier in Ontario is starting, starting to talk about the economy more and starting to say, we need to start thinking about how we're going to get back to work now. So you're starting <laughs> to see, huh? Okay. We've gone through the initial shock reaction shutdown. Let's let, we need to start thinking about how we're going to get back to normal. And, um, and now are we going to then turn, can we turn this into something that was probably very protective at the start into something that as it keeps going, something that starts to become very um, negative or not even in our best interest anymore based on how we, re, uh, how we, how the policies that are made. So, yeah. And I think it, one it's, interesting, it's hard. nobody knows, but right. It's not, but it, it, this is where, I mean, hard things require discussion and dialogue, right? Like that's where, that's where the answers question. come from is putting these things to the test and seeing, okay, well, what comes out on the other side after we put this to the test? And, you know, one thing that I think came out of this is like, you know, is it worth preserving life at all costs? Hmm. All costs, meaning regardless of the quality of that life, regardless of whether, regardless of the trickle out ripple effects of preserving that life. People don't like that question. I know, but that's but, part of the problem. And, and this is a, it's a, people don't like to talk about death and things like this. And I think that's actually in our, not in our best interest. Um, because you, all you need to do is stress test the idea to the extreme mm -hmm. and then you will see the answer. So if there is somebody who is, let's say 85, they have multiple conditions that they're, they're fighting. There's different ways you can frame this is that because this person is at such a high risk, let's say it's just one person. And is it worth a whole country to not leave their doorstep every more, uh, for the rest of, uh, of existence, let's say, uh, or until let's say there's a vaccine. So maybe that's two years. Is it worth if let's say there's one person, is it worth nobody leaving their house for two years because of one, one person who might die because of this? Right. That's, that's an interesting thought experiment. Or is it worth making sure that person takes the precautionary measures yeah. and then letting the rest of the country go on with a normal life so that they are not suffering financial, psychological, mental, emotional go. burdens. Like where is, what are we trying to reduce suffering or are we trying to preserve life at all costs? You're right. Cause That's that person decision. could still be protected. Right. If we did the right. So it so shouldn't cost everyone else resources. Right. And then you can just kind of play around with the numbers there. And that sounds like a harsh, I'm not like it's, it sounds harsh, but really, no, it doesn't. We have to, we have to start thinking about what, and then it's, what do we value? We, we, the, the values topic is, is really, I've, uh, there's, there's an inherent risk in everything we do once we leave our house every morning. Right. And drive your car. You're taking a risk. You drive your car. So, so I could be more safe, but if I didn't drive my car, but I value driving my car because it gets me places and it allows me to do things and interact with the world. Right. 
I value going out for drinks with, with friends, um, even though it's probably safer if I don't. I value going to, right, I might, I might touch some sort of infection there. I might, I might be around people that might be sick. If I'm concerned about getting sick, that's, that's one thing. But if I value going out and having a good time with friends. And deem that the risk is appropriate. Yeah. Because the pro of hanging out with friends. And I'm not talking is, about it now, by the way. Right. Uh, in general. Right, right, right. Um, I'm going to do that because I value that. And that's what makes a quality life. So if we distinguish between quality and quantity, that's important. A quality life is one that you can experience the world and accept the risks that you want to accept so you can experience. And obviously there's, there's, it's a, it is complicated because you can't just be out there risking other people's lives and doing all this other stuff because you've accepted some, some risk. So laws around that. But if these small risks that we all seem to kind of accept right now, you've got to look at that and you, and we can't go so extreme the other way and say, because of your safety, we have to all live this way. Right. It's very slippery. And and that's not somewhere. It's not a world. Ask yourself a world that you, you value. What's the world that you would value? And well, I value freedom, uh, yeah. freedom to make as an adult, as a sentient, mentally aware adult. I value the freedom of making decisions yeah. that affect me. Yeah. Without harming others with a freedom to make those decisions. If I make a decision that harms myself, well, guess what? That's my right. And why people go we, rock climbing, for and, instance. And we allow this in certain categories. If I want to go to the LCBO, which is where, which is the yes, uh, the regulation exactly. board of Ontario that sells wow. alcohol, I can buy 60 ounces of whiskey and drink myself to death. I'm allowed to do that because that Very is my right point. as a human. Until very recently, I wasn't allowed to buy a plant to smoke it, even though there's not one person that's ever died. So what is, you know, I, I don't want to get too deep into that, but... You know, where do we draw the line of, of freedoms? Well, I think it's appropriate to draw the line of freedom where if my freedom to do something harms someone else, well, maybe I shouldn't have the freedom to do that. And that's maybe where we're at. We were at initially is that yes. you can't just go and, and be around friends and be because you might be harming our ability to cope with this as a whole. Right. And that's understandable. Right. And that's totally that's I think initially we had to do the thing. I agree. Did. And I agree and with now that. it's the. Now we start to ask, well, how do we, I think the, the, the answer is always going to be, how do we gradually get back to yes. living in a society that we all can value and we all can enjoy again, but let's do it obviously smartly and, and gradually, but how do we, the, we need to get to act. We need to start thinking about action now. Yeah. Cause and, the line isn't like, there's not a line drawn on yeah. this date we shift into the next phase. No, uh, there requires conversations to say, well, are we there yet? And how do we proceed? Monitoring, continual truth, continual data coming in that to inform our decisions, continual updates from the the medical system. How come we aren't brought in? How come there isn't uh, reports from like, I, how come I don't know anything that's going on within all the hospitals around here? Right. That's that a problem. Be something that I should know as a, as a, if that's our main concern, why aren't they saying here's our hospitals, uh, they're, they're actually doing pretty good right now. And they're actually, we have, you know, these beds still open or the opposite. I want to know if they're getting, but how come we don't, and it comes back to negative negativity bias. We only see the hospitals that are getting slaughtered. And then we, we don't see the ones that are right. really doing good. And they're like, Oh, we're pretty, we're pretty good right now. So, well, even back, like one thing I want to bring up to this conversation or the point that you made about the 85 year old, yeah. like when do we accept that death is a natural process? Yes. Right? Like death is going to happen to us all. Yeah. You will die. I will die. Everyone's going to die eventually. We don't live into perpetuity. So when do we, what, where is the line where we accept death? Like if I'm 85, I lived a great life. I'm accepting that I could die and I'm okay with that. 
And I would rather die at 85 than be kept alive on a ventilator, living in a hospital, being in constant pain. I would rather die at 85 than live an extra year of misery and die at 86. Yeah. So where, when do we accept that at a certain point, humans will die, their bodies will degrade. Obviously, the better you've taken care of yourself, the longer you can live, which is why you, people live to over 100. But if we're keeping someone alive as long as we possibly can, until their body absolutely can't handle it. But even the last little bit, they're unhealthy, super unhealthy. Why can't we just accept that if you are 85 and unhealthy and you get the virus, you might die? Yeah. We can't accept that. And another point on top of that is what Eisenstein said is, I accept that going to see his mom is in her, I think, 80s, he said, and not in very good condition. He says, I, I can make the, here's another thought experiment. I can get by the fact that I probably, I'm not going to see her this month or next month. Okay. But what if that becomes six months where they're saying, don't go see your mom or if that becomes a year and, and he's saying, what if she only has, she's not in very good condition. What if she only has a year left in her life? Or what if she only has two years? But what if they say you can't go see her because for the next two years, am I willing to accept? And is she willing to have to accept the fact that I'm never going to see my son again because of this risk? Or would it be something where, I want to take like from her perspective and his perspective, am I willing to never see my mom again just right. because I'm putting her at risk or would she have a better quality of life in these few years that she has left anyways, if she's seeing her loved ones and they can actually enjoy as opposed to being kept in isolation. And, and mm-hmm. these are other questions that we need to ask. Yeah. It's, it's so it's very complex obviously, but it's, well, I think, okay. Last two things that we'll talk about. Number one, I want to talk about how, this whole situation really has shined a light on how fragile many of our systems are. So mm-hmm. whether it be our financial system, our health system, uh, our own health, right? Our own body systems, health, you know, psychologically, physically, like we have fragile systems that, and one analogy that, that Charles made was this, there's no slack in the rope. So we have all these systems and we're, we're basically redlining them. So zero slack in the system. So the smallest externality that gets exposed to that system collapses it yeah why we really need to learn from this and understand that we need to create slack in the rope in these systems after the fact so that if another thing happens which another thing will happen probably worse at some point in our lifetimes Mm -hmm. so that there's enough slack in the rope that we don't break all these systems that we don't need to tell everyone they need to stay in their homes or else you're getting a fine or you're getting arrested. Like we need to understand that there needs to be some slack in these systems in our own mental and physical resilience in the resilience of our healthcare system to be prepared for shit like this and have a buffer of safety, right? This margin of safety is very important. If you never use it, great. But when it does need to get used, that's the difference Mm -hmm. between collapse and sustainability of being able to support people. So, I think that's one thing. And I also really liked when he talked about germ theory and terrain theory. Okay. Yeah. So, and the analogy you made was you have an aquarium and you have fish in it and one of your fish gets sick. Okay. So germ theory says isolate that fish. So he doesn't get the other fish sick. Terrain theory says, is the tank dirty? And are the other fish going to get sick eventually? Even if I remove this fish. Yeah. And if you keep removing fish, oh shit, another fish got sick. I'm going to remove that one and isolate it. Oh, another fish got sick. I'm going to isolate it. Well, if you just clean the tank when the first fish got sick, none of the other fish die. Yeah. So his question was culturally right now, do we have a really dirty tank? Do we have a shitload of toxins getting exposed to us in the form of food, in the form of not really paying attention culturally to our sleep patterns, to our movement, 
Yeah. If we have a really dirty tank, let's stop focusing on just taking care of the sick fish and let's start focusing on cleaning up the tank, on making health awareness part of culture instead of being this fringe thing that it still is. And I really like that analogy. And he, you know, I really think that makes people think, right? Like Mm -hmm. we need to, because if if you had an aquarium and you just kept taking out the dirty fish or the sick fish until you had no fish left, I think it would make way more sense to think, well, I wonder if there's something wrong with the aquarium. Like, am I poisoning these fish? That would be my first reply after the second fish got sick. Like, why are my fish getting sick? Yeah. They're not supposed to why get sick. Why getting sick? Right, exactly. And I think that carries over to, to something like now where it's why like... Why do such a high percentage of people have a diabetes? Why do such a high exactly. percentage of people have high blood pressure? Why are so many why people do, fragile? Why do... Yeah, why are so many... Why do we have uh, such a high percentage of people with obesity? Why, why do we have such a high percentage of all of these these... Uh, lifestyle and uh, preventable health conditions that are proving to be very um, uh, a risk factor in this scenario, but also uh, every other scenario yeah, risk factor in like living a shitty life. Yeah. You know? Um, and I think the last thing that I just want to bring up because I, this has been going through my head and more making me think about how do people like, it just shows that people aren't really comfortable questioning things. Yeah. And it's the concept of that whole civil protection act, Right who one tenant of that is that non-essential businesses need to be need to close down but essential businesses are able to stay open who and i looked at the list and you know my question is who makes a decision of what's essential and Mm non-essential and the thought is that non-essential are things that people don't need essential is things that people can't survive or would have a significant harm if they close down and you would think that the people you elected would make those decisions of what's essential, and non-essential based on the benefit of the general public. And then you take this case case idea of um, your clinic, for example. So Optimize is a physio and sport medicine clinic. Uh, it has been deemed not essential except for urgent situations. So you have to close your clinic down. Mm-hmm. You have to keep paying rent. You have to keep finding ways to, you know, allow the people that work in that clinic to make money. So there's a lot of suffering inflicted there. And then on the other side of this, you have the Liquor Control Board of Ontario, which for people who don't live in Ontario, this is a government owned and run alcohol uh, retail outlet. So it's the only people that are allowed. It's pretty crazy that we allow them to do that. But basically, the government has a monopoly over alcohol so they can tax it and so they have full control over it. The LCBO is open. So we're deeming alcohol (laughs) as essential but healthcare services to treat people's injuries as non-essential who the F is making these rules. And how does that make sense? Because that serves the government at the expense of the public. And as a second layer of that, like when we're all mentally suffering and we're all in really shitty places because we have this massive stress load, should we be promoting people to keep consuming poison, which they probably have a tendency to consume in a higher proportion. I'm not I'm saying you should be allowed to do whatever. I'm not saying we shouldn't be allowed to consume alcohol. But I'm just saying, why is the alcohol store able to stay open, but a physiotherapy clinic isn't? We should be able to question these things. Yeah. It's, and ask it's who the hell is making these decisions and what is the logic? Yeah. Very interesting. That's crazy. It's definitely interesting. And I think we should all, and I'm not saying, I think that's a really good point. And, and maybe. I don't think it's on purpose, but it's like we yeah. need to, if someone's making a mistake, if you make a mistake and you don't know you're making that mistake, I should be allowed to say, hey, Mike, maybe that's a mistake. Can we just review that? Yeah. But we don't, as the public, we've lost the idea that we're allowed to ask questions. Why can't we? Yeah. Why why can't we? It's an interesting thought experiment. Why is the, and you could say it's, well, yeah, people wouldn't, 
Well, it's funny because then people would have, people wouldn't want the LCBO to close. (laughs) My brother said that. He's like, it would be anarchy. People would freak out. I was like, really? That really shows our values. I don't care about treating my knee pain, but I want to buy my, I want to buy my whiskey. It's true. It's like, what? People, how do we get here? It's funny how people would, they would, yeah, they would rebel against the liquor store. (laughs) And the weed store too now. (laughs) Yeah. And then it's funny because they closed the weed stores, but then they open them back up because people were not liking that. (laughs) Well, then, then it's, why would you, it, everything's funny, it's just but weird. everything needs to be questioned. Uh, everything needs to be thought about. And all these little things that I think your big point is that a lot of people just are not quite, uh, not, not even thinking about these things. And they're, they're just, just accept think, it. They just think, oh, because I was told to, that's yeah. like most people, <laughs> exactly. like they just, they just do whatever they're, they're like, well, why are you doing anything? Why are you thinking about that? I was told to do this. And that's, we got to get over that. That's not a very healthy society that can't question anything and, and just does what they're told because somebody said so. Right. Who's this? You, as you said, who's the somebody? It's yeah. just people. They're just this random dude. Like, what if this random dude is not think has thinking <laughs> like is not straight? Yeah, You're what like, if he's sleep deprived? Why is he and, yeah, telling me that guy's not thinking very clearly. Why can't it be this person over here? Yeah, where's the, the second person? layer of thought there? Yeah. Where's the second layer of of thinking to make sure it goes through a good enough filter? Yeah, like it, it's, it's just so crazy. silly. Anyway, I think the moral of the story with this whole podcast is that health. You know, we we need to pay attention. I think understanding the immune system gives people. Um, maybe lower anxiety over getting sick because they can feel if they know the variables that affect the ability of the immune system to fight something. And they understand that there is things they can do every single day, all day, right? If you eat meals, you can do something to buffer your immune, to bolster your immune system. If you sleep, which you do every night, you can do something to bolster your immune system. Mm-hmm. Um, you have the opportunity to move so you can do something to protect your immune system. So there's a lot of things we can do to be taking action to create a more resilient body that's able to fend something off if we get it. Yeah. And the more this goes on, the more it seems that we're shifting towards this whole herd immunity standpoint where like, we're probably going to get it at some point or it's going to be, it's going to go around, but now it's about how do we mitigate the harm if we do get it. And as a general baseline, let's just refocus on health in general, because that's the way you reduce the burden on society. When you're healthy, you're happy, you're nicer, you're kinder to others, you do better work, you, you're able to focus more, you're a better parent, like all these things. Maybe we should take this focus on health now, but also, you know, the hope is that that trickles over into the future so that it creates a cultural shift towards more health centric instead of mm. just doing shit. Yeah. Um, so anyway, we hope you enjoyed that episode and it gave you some insight and uh, we'll talk to you next week.